0: Hello, and welcome to the White's Chapel Sermon Podcast. We're so glad you've taken the time to listen to our weekly sermons. This is a quick way to enjoy or even revisit a recent message. We're starting a new series tonight, as you can tell. Uh, This is a uh, long tradition here at White's Chapel, where every September we take a single passage, uh, a story from the Bible, and we spread it out over the course, course of the entire month. And we really dig into it. And so uh, I know in the past we've done other parables. We've done uh, Psalms 23 a couple of years ago. We've done the book of Jonah. Uh, This is one of my favorite traditions. This is one of my favorite sermon series that we get to come back to every year. Uh, And I'll tell you all right off the bat, I'm super excited about what we're going to be deep diving this month. Uh, Obviously, we'll be spending the next uh, three weeks in Jesus' parable about the lost son, the prodigal son. This is Arguably, the most well-known story that Jesus tells. Uh, And that's for a very good reason. In my opinion, uh, this parable is one of the richest, most incredible stories that Jesus shares throughout his ministry. Um, And he's got some great ones. But this one just encapsulates so much of the gospel, so much of, of who we are as Christians and what we believe. I don't think it's too far to say that this is a masterpiece. And so I'm really excited that over the next three weeks we're gonna be studying all three characters that make up this story. The younger son, the prodigal, uh, the older son next week, and then the last week uh, is the father. And my hope is that we see ourselves and that we see God over the next few weeks. Because I know at different points in my life I have been different characters and I've experienced different characters. I've definitely been the selfish prodigal son who runs away. Uh, I've been the ungracious, sanctimonious older brother that we'll talk about next week. And I have experienced the love of people and of a savior who's shown me the heart of the father. Uh, but I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's, let's start with the first third of the story tonight. Uh, we're breaking up this parable into three sections because it's actually uh, quite a long text. Uh, And so tonight we're going to be focusing just on the prodigal himself, the younger son, first. So if you've got your Bibles, uh, you can go ahead and mark it because we're going to be in it for the rest of the month. Luke 15, verses 11 through 19. This is the first third of the parable of the lost son. And Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the son gathered all he had and he traveled to a distant country and there he squandered his property in dissolute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that country and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods the pigs were eating But no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have enough bread to spare? And here I am, dying of hunger. I'll get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. Okay, so we have a younger son who goes to his father, and he demands his share of the inheritance, which uh, based on the custom of this time, because he was the younger son, he would have gotten one third of everything that his father had. And this is an extremely hurtful thing to do, and that's probably pretty obvious, but essentially the younger son is saying, Dad, honestly, I would prefer it if you were dead. It would be better for me if you could just kinda kick it, because then I could go ahead and have my inheritance that is cold, but his father gives it to him, and this young man goes off and he squanders everything. He wastes every single dime that his father gave him, and then a famine comes, and he ends up with nothing. And so he gets a job feeding pigs, and he he quickly finds himself uh, yearning for what the pigs are eating. That's how bad things have gotten. And so we read this first section of this parable, and it seems like there's not a lot to be emulated here. Uh, I think that's true until we get to that last couple of verses in this section, those last couple of verses. The younger son is down and out. Things are really, really bad. But then he has this moment of clarity. He says, even my dad's hired hands have food. Maybe I can go and and I can apologize and humble myself. Maybe if I own my mistake, maybe, just maybe, he'll hire me to be a servant. And I know that doesn't seem like much, but that realization is huge. And just that little heel turn that he does at the end of our scripture has a lot to say to us tonight. And so, as strange as it may sound, I want us to key in tonight on what the prodigal son does right in this passage. We're not gonna harp on what he does wrong because we know what he does wrong. We know that we shouldn't be arrogant and entitled and egotistical and selfish the way that he is. But I want us to see what he does well because I think there is a glimmer of hope in our text, a lesson, something that we see that he gets right, something that he displays that we can emulate. And it's simple, it's the simple fact that he confesses. The last thing he does in our text is he makes a plan to confess to his father, to humble himself and ask for mercy. And as basic as that sounds, this is something that I think we have really put on the back burner in modern day Christendom. But confession is an important practice for us to become comfortable with if we're really gonna follow Jesus. Because the truth is, every single one of us is going to make mistakes, lots of them. We're all going to fail. We're going to hurt people. We're going to say things we shouldn't. I told you all just last week about some of the dumb things that I've said in my life. And I will tell you, I had to like, wade through a lot of different stories about times that i put my foot in my mouth. That's how many I have. It was actually too easy to write that sermon last week, which... I'm still processing and working through, I guess. Look, the point is, we all fall short a lot. And, and now maybe your mistakes aren't as overt as the prodigal son's, uh, but we all have moments when we're selfish and entitled. Uh, and so the question isn't whether or not we've made bad decisions like the prodigal, the question is whether or not we're willing to make the turn that he does right there at the end of our text whether or not we're willing to confess our mistakes the way that he does. Because I think real earnest confession, like the kind we see in our scripture, is something that if we're honest, a lot of us resist. Uh, I read a story this week about a guy named Rich Orenberger who was an offensive lineman uh, for the New England Patriots from 2009 to 2011. And uh, in 2009 when Rich was trying out for the team, he woke up late one morning. He missed his alarm. And he woke up and he realized the practice was about to start and so he got up and he was freaking out. Uh, He knew that the Patriots coach, Bill Belichick, was extremely strict about tardiness and he was terrified of him. And and so he jumped in his Tahoe and he raced down the road, but he looked at the clock and he realized that there was just no way he could make it in time. And he was panicking. He was imagining what it was going to be like to, to look Coach Belichick in the eyes and tell him that he had just missed his alarm. He was late for no reason. He's probably as terrified as a lot of the Alabama players are right now with Nick Saban. Uh, They were scared, he was scared. And again, he's trying out for this team and he's thinking, this is it. I'm getting cut, I'm losing my job. And so he was rushing to the field and as he was driving there, he had an idea. Rich saw a van broken down on the side of the road And he decided in that moment that he would intentionally run into this van because he figured that that would be better, that he would rather pay the insurance on this accident than have to look Bill Belichick in the eye and tell him that he missed an alarm. And so he did this. He actually ran his Tahoe into a van, but it was a church van, and he didn't know that. And to make matters worse, this church van was being driven by an elderly man. In the interview, he says this man was a breath away from uh, meeting the Creator. Uh, Well, he didn't know any of this. And he ran into this vehicle, and uh, luckily, he was going slow enough that no one was injured. But he said he hit this van, and he realized almost immediately what an insane thing he'd just done. And he told this story on this sports radio show. Uh, But I heard this story, and I thought, oh my gosh. Rich Orenberger was so afraid of having to confess that he'd woken up late, something that probably all of us have done, but he was so afraid to confess that he hit a church van, a church van. And it seems crazy, but how many of us are willing to go to this kind of length to avoid confession? Like we would rather do anything than have to confess our wrongdoings. How often do we fight confessing only to find ourselves in a worse spot in the end? I mean, isn't that what happens to the younger son? Remember, he he doesn't run out of money and then just immediately decide to repent and return home. He tries to resist. It says he works for a stranger and he he ends up eating with pigs. Um, Actually, it says he ends up wishing he could eat with pigs. And so Jesus remember, telling this story to a first century Jewish audience. And so to them hearing this, this is about as rock bottom as rock bottom gets. They can imagine this younger son eating these pods that pigs ate. And these pods were, were from the carob tree. And at the time, this was, was something that only animals and the extremely poor would consume. It was considered a food of desperation, a food uh, that, was, that was only good enough for pigs. And remember, uh, first century Jews did not have a very high view of pigs. Uh, so, so this younger son waits until things are at their absolute worst before he is willing to confess. And I look at that, and, and I wonder how often I've done the same, I, I wonder how often we do the same. How often would we rather run into a church fan than just admit that we made a mistake? We just don't like to confess. And I think that this is something that has gotten maybe worse in our modern context. In an age of social media and filters where everyone wants to appear as perfect and faultless as possible, the last thing we would ever wanna do is confess our sins to other people. The last thing we would ever wanna do is, is broadcast our messiness. I read a a prayer this week that a pastor wrote. Um, uh, He wrote this this prayer as a work of satire. And he wrote it to kind of explain how we view confession, he believes, in the modern world. And so he took an old prayer from, uh, a prayer of confession from the the Book of Common Prayer and he made some edits, Uh, he made a lot of edits And he says that it now fits our modern understanding of confession. And so this is what he wrote in this prayer. He said, dear benevolent and easygoing parent, we have occasionally made some minor errors of judgment, but they're not really our fault. Due to forces beyond our control, we have sometimes failed to act in accordance with our own best interests. Under the circumstances, we did the best we could we're glad to say that we're doing okay, perhaps even slightly above average. Be your own sweet self with those who know they're not perfect. Grant us that we may continue to live a harmless and happy life and keep our self-respect. We ask all these things according to the unlimited tolerance which we have a right to expect from you, amen. I love that. And, and it's a joke, but is it a joke? <laughs> because I think there's some truth in this little work of satire. I think this is how a lot of us want to approach confession. We don't wanna really dig in and show off our messiness, our brokenness. We make a mistake and then we wanna own as little of that mistake as we can get away with owning. But there's actually been scientific research that has shown that this kind of confession really isn't helpful at all. Uh, There was a study conducted recently in the United States and in Israel uh, that I read this week. It was called, I Cheated But Only a Little. And the study involved 4,000 people. And these researchers found uh, that people who only partially confessed a transgression actually reported feeling significantly worse than those who didn't confess at all. The, the uh, study's lead author was a guy named Dr. Peer. And this is what he said. He said, confessing to only part of one's guilt, uh, uh, the guilt of one's transgressions is attractive to a lot of people because they expect the confession to be more believable and guilt relieving than not confessing. But our findings show the exact opposite. People seeking redemption by partially admitting their lie feel guiltier because they're not completely taking responsibility for their behavior. Uh, The Harvard Business Review that published this study summarized the research this way. They said confession is a powerful way to relieve guilt, but it only works if you tell the whole truth we have to tell the whole truth. We have to be people who are willing to make confession a real part of our lives. Because as Saint Augustine says, the confession of evil works is the beginning of good works. So if we wanna do the good stuff, we have to be willing to admit when we slip into the bad stuff, because that's where healing begins. It begins when we own our mistakes fully and confess. And if you look at our scripture, that is exactly what the prodigal son plans to do. Remember his confession. Remember what he says. He says, I'll get up and go to my father. And I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. Yes, it takes him a really difficult place and it takes him a, quite a while, but ultimately he decides to confess. And that confession isn't half-hearted. And we've got to give him some credit for that. His confession is raw and earnest. He says, Father, I've sinned against not only you but heaven itself. And Dad, you don't even have to call me son anymore because I don't even, be- I don't even deserve that title. So just treat me like, like one of your servants. He's real. He doesn't try and and sugarcoat it or blame it on someone else. He doesn't say, Dad, look, I did burn through like a third of everything you've ever worked for. Uh, But you know, I fell in with the wrong people. And really, they were the ones that convinced me to do it. I was kind of naive, you know. Uh, He doesn't say, look, how could I have known there was gonna be a severe famine in this country? There's, that's crazy. It all just kind of, you know, perfect storm. He doesn't do any of that. Instead, this lost son, this younger son, starts to become the found son in the moment that he turns back and decides to sincerely, genuinely confess what he's done. And not to steal the thunder from the next couple of weeks, but turning back and going home and confessing, this decision that he makes here it works out pretty well for the prodigal son. We need to get back to confession. We need to get back to having this as an essential foundational piece of our discipleship. Because you look at how the world views Christianity today and if we're being honest, I don't think people look at the church and associate us with contrition and confession as much as they probably should. Uh, there was a, a Barner research study that was done a few years ago where they asked millennials uh, to select a picture that they thought most aptly described present day Christianity. And they gave these participants four pictures to choose from. One was a man sitting on the street and he was kind of reaching up asking for help. The second one was what well, kind of looked like a large worship concert. The third was a man with a megaphone and a sign. And the last one was a Bible with a kind of aggressively pointed finger over it. And I wanna show you the results. These are the results. The winner by a, if you can call it that, uh, the winner by a pretty decent margin was the pointed finger over the Bible. I wanna show you the full version of the picture that won. It was this picture. Uh, And I think this should bother us. I think this should really bother us because what this tells me is that whoever took this survey, looked at the church, and they didn't see a people who confess, they saw a people who accuse. They looked at the church and they saw a disapproving finger pointed outward. But that's not who we're called to be, that's not who we are. We aren't supposed to be a finger pointed out shaming others, we're supposed to be a finger pointed in at ourselves, confessing our own failures pulling the log out of our own eye before we start dealing with the splinter in our neighbor's eye. What's the old adage? When you point a finger, there are three pointing right back at you. That's who we are. We're supposed to be like the younger son. Not in the first part, but in that last part. The younger son who owns his mistakes and then moves forward hoping that the father will offer him grace and forgiveness and another chance to try again. And so I want to ask all of us tonight, what is it that you need to confess? What's the thing that you need to take to your heavenly father and say, Father, I'm sorry. I screwed up. I'm, I'm going to try again. I'm going to try and get it right this next time. Where in your life do you need to, to, to unload that burden, to give it to God. Because we get to know the end of the story that the prodigal son didn't know. We get to know that our father is a father of grace, that his arms are always open. Confession is where healing begins. Confession is where self-forgiveness begins. So let's not be a people who run into church fans or pray half-hearted prayers of confession. Let's be a people who are authentic and real and earnest about our failures. Let's be a people who point a finger in, not out. A people who confess our sins knowing that we have a father who will always be there to welcome us home. Hallelujah. Amen. Will you pray with me? Lord, we confess tonight that we are not that good at confession. <laughs> Lord, we confess that that this is something that a lot of us struggle with. We so badly want to to look put together. We want everybody around us to think that we've got it all figured out. But Lord, you know us. You know the real us. You know all of our transgressions, all of our mistakes. You also know all of our successes. Lord, help us to be all right with owning those mistakes. Help us to be all right coming to you and saying, Lord, I'm sorry, I messed up, I'm gonna try again. And God, we thank you tonight. We thank you that you are a God of grace. This is one of your defining qualities. You are a God that time and time again says, It's okay, child. You open your arms to us, and Lord, we we can never pay that back. We're just grateful. So, Lord, whatever it is, whatever is on our heart, whatever has been kind of heavy on us, we offer it to you. We confess. We took the wrong road. We said the wrong thing. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for forgiving us. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for joining us. Please make sure to rate, review, and subscribe so you don't miss new releases. We'll have new podcasts coming out all the time. Be sure to check us out online at whiteschapelumc.com. Please download the WC Life app. And follow us on social media to stay up to date with all things WC.